everybody to another episode of the HR Evolution or Revolution, whatever way that you look at it. Um, Bobby and I are here today with Igor, our distinguished guest of uh, this afternoon, uh, to really learn from best in breed, best in class professionals that are really leading uh, the profession forward. Um, and uh, today we, we learn from conversations, um, but also best practices. And also it's important to bring in the psychoanalysis uh, portion of it. So we wanted to bring on Igor, a specialist in the field in that regard, because at the end of the day, we are all people. Um, and the more we understand people and how they're making decisions, the better we are to build the culture that they want and are looking for. So I'm Kevin Rustasi and my co-host, uh, Bobby uh, Spaziani. Thanks, Kevin. Appreciate it. And uh, like you said, you know, we continue our passion project on our HR Evolution podcast here um, you know, I think a little bit of a different a different um, lens today, right? I mean, I think we talk a lot about, you know, folks that are in the HR, in the business, right? Um, doing the work today within organizations. Igor comes to us from the, the academic side of things. So excited to, to dive into it, Igor, with you today. Well, let me properly introduce uh, Igor Menez. He is a uh, organizational behavior as well as human capital management or uh, human uh, people analytics uh, lecturer, but also now professor over at Hall University. So welcome to the show, Igor. I'm very well. Thanks. Thanks for having me here. It's an absolute pleasure. Well, I'm going to start with something not in maybe in your wheelhouse because it's something that you do every day. But what did you have for breakfast this morning, Igor? Uh-huh. <laughs> so just the basics, so just fruits and yogurt. So very like healthy breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> That's how you start your morning. I love it. Yeah. Eagle, I, I, uh, I have one for you as well. So, you know, obviously I'm, I'm looking at all your publications, all your research that you've done. It's absolutely incredible. Um, you know, I don't know when you get free time just looking at what you've done, but when you do get some free time, what do you enjoy doing for yourself? Um, mostly stay with my wife and also play my guitar and study a few things. Also watch TV series, Netflix, just the basics. So I'm a quite regular guy. So nothing extraordinary, something like climbing mountains or anything like this. So very basic. No skydiving, none, none of that. No skydiving, anything like this. No. Well, I gotta I ask because yeah. I'm a I'm a Netf I'm a recovering Netflix junkie myself, Igor. And uh, what's really? the series that oh. you're watching right now? What's consuming your weekends? You know, the last week I, I just gave it a go at Squid Game. Oh, I, I watched that. I didn't that quite I didn't quite enjoy it, so I thought it was very similar to all the TV series that I watched in the past. Something like a mix of Black Mirror with all the TV series, and I said, "No, that's too much. I want something more funny." So I don't, I don't want this bloody move. So just something well, to enjoy like myself. Comedy, you know? Dave Chappelle's uh, last uh, stand-up is amazing. So that, that ah, that's that, good to know. Yeah, he's one of I'll my favorite out. comedians yeah. of all time. He's amazing. Uh, well, you must love the uh, mental games then of Squid Games there and, and kind of just changing gears here a little bit. We want to understand really about your passion project yourself. We talked about this being our passion project about the revolution of HR for the evolution of business. But you talked about um, kind of giving a taste of predicting future performance or predicting things for both individuals and businesses. And once you got that bite, um, you wanted more. Can you kind of talk about how you got into this field and, and why you found your passion um, in this field to, to really make a difference? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'd be a long story, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, everything started about 20 years ago when I came across the field of organizational psychology. And then I started to work with statistics applied to organizational psychology. And when I came across psychometrics, actually, what was, uh, I would say, op- I-, I totally opened my mind to a new field, to a new experience. And it was something totally different from my experience as an undergraduate student at that point, because most of my undergraduate was based on psychoanalysis, as you mentioned, with psychoanalysis and clinical psychology and all of this stuff. And then I said, okay, there's something here which is different from the rest. And I should take more time to study these things. And that's when I decided to study more psychometrics. And alongside organizational psychology, I start to see that we could work with people data. Uh, at the point, we wouldn't call it people data. So that's something totally new that came after <laughs> HR. So we don't call people data. But at the point I saw, okay, that's interesting to learn more about uh, organizational commitment, organizational citizenship, and how the things, for example, could make an impact to the organization. And then that's when about 20 years ago, I started to work with organizational psychology alongside psychometrics and see the potential that these tools could have to understand more about human behaviors. Uh, And then after a while, after I would say about six years ago, seven years ago, the first time when I came to the University of Cambridge to study my postdoctor and carry out my postdoctoral studies, uh, that's when I came across this new field of HR analytics. And then I start to see, okay, that's something that I have done for a long time. I didn't know that I was doing this, actually. So that's, uh, if I combine organizational psychology with psychometrics, with HR practices, with this, this, and that, actually, if I put this all together, that's actually HR analytics. That's people analytics. Mm-hmm. And that's why when I decided to basically, basically uh, say, okay, I'm going to study people analytics and try to really invest on this field and trying to make this a scientific field because my main concern now is actually how to make people analytics a scientifically based area instead of mm-hmm. just industry focused area. Lovely. That's excellent. And so so a simple minded person like myself, Igor, could you break down kind of the idea of psychometrics, predictive psychometrics? Um, what is it, you know, how is it, um, how does it fall into this larger umbrella of, of people analytics? Excellent. Yeah, that's a good question. So I think everything uh, relates to what we discuss in terms of um, explanatory models versus predictive models. So we need to understand the nature of these investigations so as we can really tap into what the what each of these fields could really uh, bring in terms of contributions. So, but when you work with explanatory models, so we basically look into the past, into the data that we collected to try mm-hmm. to understand more the relations between variables. So what associations we have in this data are formed based on this data. But what we do is actually to understand more in depth what the data is telling you. So you don't want to make predictions based on this data necessarily. So if you want to make predictions, you need to take this data and then you need to have a new data set, a holdout data, something which is, doesn't necessarily need to be collected in the future, but something which is external to your current data set. So as you can compare your data against this new data, that's the predictive model. 
predictive explanation. But if you combine these two things, we finally have the field of analytics. So what is actually analytics? Analytics is this combination of different techniques. I, in the past, I would call it a triangulation, but I think it's more than a triangulation now. So yeah. we have many more dimensions. So we have a combination of qualitative data, quantitative data, explanatory models, predictive models. And at the end of the day, what we want is to combine different models so as we can get good results, we can improve business outcomes. And that's exactly what we do in analytics. So in terms of the combination of, of psychometrics, and psychometrics is mostly explanatory by nature. So if you take most of the models of psychometrics are much more explanatory. So they look at the data in the past, trying to map this data and trying to come up with new patterns. So as we can see whether or not these items are really measuring what they intend to measure. Mm -hmm. And, but when it comes to predictions, even the predictive validity of our models, sometimes we're not talking about predictive validity. Sometimes it's actually just to trying to make inferences about your data, so it, which is not necessarily predictions. So if you want to make a prediction, we need to have data that would be collected in the future or even data that is not necessarily collected or evolved in the initial predictions that you made with your initial data set. Mm -hmm. So the idea of predictive psychometrics is, is combining these two things. It's take the data from the past, the current models that we have for modeling latent variables and combining those with new predicted models, machine learning models, so as we can improve the accuracy in the prediction of human behaviors. Hmm. And human behaviors, so are, it's, it's so important to tap into because at the end of the day, like I said initially, it's, it's, it's how you start to design a culture um, strategy, right? If you understand how people are making those decisions within their day or what's having the greatest impact, those key pivotal life moments or events um, is so important. One of the things that I wanted to talk to you about is because we're, we're start, starting to see, I think, in the, the war for talent or the great resignation that businesses are starting to become desperate to quickly analyze talent and identify if they're going to be a proper fit within their organization or not. Um, I've seen businesses and HR departments and, and talent acquisition specialists really rely heavily on assessments. Now, the assessments that they typically are using, Igor, I think you and I would both agree, are not being used correctly for their initial intention, like DISC, like Myers-Briggs yes. and Predictive Performance Index, but they're being sold to these people as such. What do you have to say about how they're being utilized and really, I guess, the damaging effects of a company that's really putting all their weight into a DISC assessment or a Myers-Briggs assessment? What do you have to say, I guess, about the future of psychometric analysis and assessments moving forward? I think the main problem is not the psychometric techniques per se. I think we, we psychometrics have evolved over the last 100 years to something which is quite advanced in terms of techniques. But even when sometimes you say that you are a psychometrician and use psychometric models, you've seen people say, or they just believe that you administer tests. So just use these tests for making decisions about anything and everything, but it's not how it should be because uh, of course we have two things here. So the first point is that we should have valid models and valid theories. Actually, at the end of the day, 
there is a high reliance on, on theories. So we are very reliant on theories in psychometrics because uh, it's pointless if you have very advanced models in psychometrics, but if you have very poor theories. So, and so everything boils down to the, uh, the theoretical underpinnings of the model that you're using. Mm. So advanced theories will also provide with best instruments even if you use classical test theory, you don't use either response theory or multidimensional models or models which are more advanced. So if you have good theories, you also have uh, best instruments. That's one of the points. Hmm. And, and the other thing is actually uh, the, the ideological value of the test, which is the philosophical assumption that we have about the test. So what can I do with the results of my test? So I think that's the important part of it in one of the most important points in people analytics, for example, because if you just use the psychometric test as a single tool without combining this with all the elements or the variables and indicators in the organization, so that will be just, you, you create very poor predictive models. Mm. And at the same time, if you do the other way around, if you also just use KPIs, if you don't take into account psychometric models, psychometric variables and latent variable models, you also create something which is not people analytics, it's actually business analytics mm -hmm. or any other kind of analytics, but people analytics. So that's important to have these two aspects. And the other thing about the use of MBTI and, uh, and DISC, I think that I'm quite happy that you mentioned this too, because I think they are two of the most um, you know, challenging assessments that we have because they've been around for a long time, I think more than 60, 70 years or so. And people are still, the people are still using these tools for making decisions, but they are type-based. So they are not advanced in terms of theory. So they have problems with validity. They have problems with predictive validity. And when it comes to, um, to trait-based theories, they're still quite limited in terms of applications. But do you know what? It's mostly because people want to know who they are. Mm -hmm. So there's always this idea that, oh, my type is A, J, S, and they start to combine these things. And they start to compare themselves with others and say, oh, I'm this type, what about yours? So what's your type? And they start to compare each other. So that's quite attractive. That's exactly what people want to know. They want to know who they are. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, there is some problems with the validity of these models because they are not valid enough. So they, they don't have any, um, they're not carefully or the data that has been collected and the way that the theory has been based is not theoretically sound. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the issues that we have. Thank you for that. Interesting. Yeah, and, and, and Igor, I, I gotta ask, you know, I think, you know, prior to what, you know, 2000, 2020, um, it was probably much easier to walk into organizations and get a you know good understanding of how humans were interacting face to face. And we know that the pandemic has kind of you know shifted our our work today, right? We have um, you know remote work, hybrid work, etc. Um, has how has this become a challenge, or how have you you know pivoted in your work and in your you know your research on human behavior um, going forward? And, and and how do you plan on continuing? Um, to, you know, research and evolve uh, the area of human behavior going forward in this sort of this new environment? That's a very good question. So uh, I'm going to bring an example beforehand. 
So in the past, we collected data alongside a big company, uh, database of more than 1 million people from several different companies. And one of the things that we came across, one of the results, the main results, the main takeaways, uh, was that uh, remote working was not having the investment that workers would like to. And that was in the past. And one of the challenges in terms of research is that some of the data that we collected in the past and some of the results became obsolete. So they're obsolete now. Mostly because we have a new reality, we have a new work setting, a new configuration that should be taken into account. And some of the data that we collected, of course, that would be very good if we could have a time series or a longitudinal data that would allow us to compare what was the perception of these workers uh, at the moment and what's the perception now after having this widespread notion of remote working. So that would be great to have these comparisons in terms of models. I think that's one of the challenges. Some of the data that we collected uh, pre-pandemic is not the same as post-pandemic era. So we need to reconfigure our data set and, and also the work settings, the way that work is organized has changed uh, very quickly. So that's one of the challenges that we have in terms of research now. The other thing is also, I would say it's much more methodological because in the past we used to look into the data based on more unidimensional models or models that would provide you with very straightforward answers to your questions. And sure. even, even when we take, for example, PhD studies, um, we see that some of this research is much more about moderation mediation effects involving a limited number of variables. But if you want to understand an organization, you need to understand an organization as a complex system, a system based on several different variables relating to one another and influence one another at the same time. And that's something that we haven't done so far. So we published a paper two weeks ago showing exactly how to model organizational climate based on a new perspective called psychological networks. And in psychological networks, what we do is actually to establish these relationships and show how each variable from, each, from different dimensions could influence one another. So it's very different from the common factor approach that we used in the past, in which if I want to understand organizational climate, I just need to collect data once a year. Of course, we have also post surveys among other. So there's some criticism around this. But if you want to collect data once a year, what organizations usually do is to show the descriptive statistics for each variable mm -hmm. separately. So how much is this current leadership, benefits, et cetera, and so on. But how about the relationships between these things? Mm -hmm. So that's exactly what analytics is about. It's about relationships. It's about providing more insights into this reality. It's understanding organization as a complex system, not as dimensions investigated separately. So, but that's very complex. It was a challenge when we wrote this paper because there is no guideline so far on how to interpret a complex system. It's like chaos theory. So we have a theory which shows we have different elements and particles that are interacting, but how can we model this complexity? So modeling this complexity is something very, very challenging. 
So I don't know if I answered your question, but um, I think these are the challenges that we have in terms of research for the next decade or so. That's, and a lot of people have a lot more questions than answers, I think, right now, too, is just like Bobby uh, suggested, right, is, is how do I find that balance and, and kind of tapping into the, I guess, the psychology behind it. What would you recommend organizations? Like, again, the great resignation, we, we, you mentioned about the swift move to a work from home environment that was really forced. Um, what is the mental psyche of the workforce today, Igor, in your opinion, in your estimation, and, and why are businesses challenged so much to, to I guess, understand what the people actually want? Yeah, uh, I think we, one of the things that we should investigate more in depth is actually the concept of great resignation. I've seen some <laughs> a bit um, opposite views in terms of, of the great resignation because uh, there is one research that was done that says uh, the, great, the great resignation is actually the number of jobs and people that were leaving the jobs in the middle of the pandemic, but they decided not doing so because it was not safe. They wouldn't, wouldn't get a new job. Mm -hmm. And that was a kind of backlog on these resignations. And now we have people really leaving their jobs because of this backlog. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the things. I've, I think there, there might be a few people in a few jobs under this uh, situation, this circumstance, but I think there is more to it. I think there is really something that changed. So even here in academia, even here at the university, we have this new hybrid approach, hybrid approach. So we are working twice a week, here and the rest of the time we are basically working from home mostly for environmental reasons so we are much more we're in university which is environmentally friendly so we want of course to cut, cut carbon emissions mm -hmm. so for doing that if you work from home you can also uh, contribute somehow with these emissions so but these things should be taken into account and of course that also shows that the workspace and organizations should adapt mm -hmm. these new realities. So that's something that would play a different role in the future and something that we need to, uh, to adapt. Mm -hmm. So yeah, in terms of psychology, uh, the important part of it, actually uh, something that was, I would say, overlooked for a long time that was actually the employee's well-being. Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's something that we, in the past, wouldn't discuss, but now we have much more discussion about the employee's well-being or employee's identity and meaning. So what's the meaning of work? That's something that we discussed since the 80s, but it was not in the agenda of the organizations. And now we've seen the discussions being much more, uh, happening much more in a much strongly uh, defined way. So in this case, I think it's important that we understand what's the meaning of work for you, for me, for Bob, for mm -hmm. everyone. So what's exactly, why are you doing this? Why do we have this motivation of doing a podcast? It's not a traditional job. Mm -hmm. So it's not, a, it's not a nine to five job, but you still have the, the headspace to do it and you still have your motivation, enthusiasm mm -hmm. for doing this. What about, uh, I don't know, being an academic? So what's the main motivation? Is it the same or is that something that has changed, for example? Mm -hmm. So how can we, we take all of these aspects and trying to reconfigure this so as we can provide a different experience for our students, for example, or the research mm -hmm. in a different way? Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. Is it possible to do this in a different way? So these things are still, uh, things are, haven't decided yet mm -hmm. what to do with these things. So I think we are trying to do this along the way, but it's just very challenging in terms mm -hmm. of how to reconfigure the work and how to think in a new organization of the, of the work of the job as a whole. And there are more questions unanswered, I'm afraid, than yeah. clear answers to that. Yeah. Well, Igor, just the meaning of work, Bobby and I jokingly talk about that. And that's something I can say in America was is changed, right? Pre-pandemic, post-pandemic, the real meaning of work, I think, in most lives has, has really officially changed. Um, and I think we're gearing more towards like the UK, European mindset where a job is there to, to help like us live our life. And it's not our life anymore. Um, we, we, the American obsession with the American dream, chasing the, the hierarchical structure to, to move up the ladder um, is really different now, right? Uh, people thought they wanted that. And then I think they came to the realization during the pandemic that maybe that's not really what life is all about. And maybe they want to be home with their kid at three o'clock to get them off the bus. Um, and that's when I say like the hard line stances that you're starting to see businesses take here because they are frustrated um, that the, your, the amount of work to reconfigure work, they're seeing that is, it's, it's, it's too much, right? And, and they're trying to find the easy way, um, but they're drawing the hard line in the stance. From a psychologist perspective, can, can you explain to the audience how more detrimental that actually is to the business at the end of the day? Um, meeting people where they are today? Well, that's difficult in terms of psychology because uh, I think the theories uh, in the past and even some research that was conducted in the past were able to bring some solutions at the point. Mm -hmm. But I don't know how much the new theories uh, or, or the new aspects related to the work we really be addressed by this theory. So it seems to me that we have to rethink a few theories. Mm -hmm. We need to come up with new models, new solutions that will not be based on, on theoretical models only. So that's exactly the moment that psychology should shift towards something more data-driven as well. Mm -hmm. Of course, I'm not against theory-driven approach. That's exactly the opposite. So I'm always in favor of a combination between theory-driven and data-driven approach. I don't think that we should ignore all the theories that we have developed. And, but we can also stick to the old ways of doing research and just work with data and explanatory models, data that just look into the past based on small, simple size, data collected with students in classrooms that would not be, have any inference or generalization power to the whole of the population. I'm very critical about this thing because I'm afraid, I'm afraid that's not how it should be. And we've seen some publications or many publications actually at the end of the day doing this. Mm -hmm. So we need to be more involved with organizations, build more partnerships, create more relationships with people from different countries, different companies, and trying to bring these discussions uh, into the companies because we, the, the problem is that, is that in psychology, we usually, and we usually tend to think very theoretically of models before think of solutions. So it's important that we try to understand the business problems, understand exactly 
what's happening out there, and then bring this into academia so as we can conduct research based on reality mm-hmm. than just based on theoretical models. But of course, I'm not, I'm not criticizing my colleagues or anything like this. It's just, yes. I think it's something that we have done for a long time in psychology. And I just believe that we, are, uh, we should, at this point, try just to reflect our practices and trying to bring something which is really academia. I think industry is doing something which is disruptive, but the academic models are still not reflecting Mm -hmm. exactly the reality, um, how it looks like. Mm -hmm. And that's, and that's, I mean, Bobby and I are in the same passion project to reinvent HR because HR has typically been the administrative tactical, no police, right. Within organizations and just the compliance um, side of it. Uh, Bobby, what would, what did you have? Yeah, I, I just kind of wanted to touch back on something that you mentioned earlier, Igor, where you talked about the inputs that kind of create and make up um, HR analytics or people analytics. And just from your perspective in studying different organizations and, and seeing organizations that, that do people analytics, and, I, and for our audience, I, I did that in air quotes, right? Because I think everybody says that they have people analytics or HR analytics, um, you know, and, and some companies have even built out departments to show that. Um, but we know that some do it right and some don't do it so right. So from your experience, what are the good companies doing um, as it relates to people analytics? Um, yeah, I'm glad that you touched on this point because um, what I'm seeing is that some of the companies, and actually there is only statistics about this. So what they usually say is that 40% of the companies that says that use AI and people analytics, they don't actually have any solution that uses machine learning models or analytics or anything. So that, which is quite stunning. So I think that um, it depends on the company, of course, because a few companies believe that to have, uh, to have people analytics implemented is something very expensive. I would say it's not very expensive. You could have just, you start just one person one analyst, an HR analyst that has very good training and some techniques that would bring new ideas to the organization, which at the end of the day, um, we, we should define correctly what analytics is. So if you just do descriptive statistics, if you just use Excel, can we consider this as people analytics? I don't know, a few organizations would say, yes, we are doing people analytics because that could be enough to, to resolve the problems. So if you have a very small company with 10 employees or so, and you believe that mapping this data or doing qualitative research would answer the questions, okay, that's fine, you're doing analytics for your organization. In my view, I think analytics is much more about the combination of different elements. And these elements are not only about people, elements about also the organization, financial aspects, marketing, uh, clients. Mm-hmm. So it should have this combination, otherwise you're not doing people analytics. But of course, the other thing about people analytics is uh, the implementation of people analytics in terms of um, the, the aims of your project. So for example, if you just want to create very nice dashboards and visualizations that would provide with descriptive models, okay, you're doing analytics and that's exactly what most of the companies do when they say that they work with people analytics. So it's all about bring data in and just show all these nice visuals and say, 
okay, let's just split the data set. Here you see, let's compare this group with this group. And then there is, there is the difference between these two groups, et cetera. They don't even calculate whether or not the difference is significant. So exactly. it's just to or, say- Or, or there's, if there's even a correlation between them. <laughs> oh, that's even a correlation. So that's just, they say, okay, that's the data. Yeah. So I've seen some people, for example, uh, some organizations just taking correlations and turn this into frequencies mm -hmm. and say, okay, that's the frequency. So my correlation is not frequencies. So we can simply directly translate this into frequencies. Mm -hmm. Or they're just comparing or, or creating some visualizations which would look at the difference or show a difference, which is very small, look very large, just because they, they change the scale of mm -hmm. the plot. Mm -hmm. And they just say, oh, that's the difference between this group and this group, because what they want to trying to convey the idea is that there is a difference when there isn't. So yeah. that's something that also I saw. So that's not the best practice in peak analytics, of course. So that would be some of the worst practice. But uh, a good people analytics organization or, or, or department in an organization would combine, it would be very careful of dealing with people data in a way that would consider I would say latent variable models that would create instruments which are valid. They would be careful about the use of explanatory models. They would try to um, make sure that all of the models of the items are really valid. They would take this and combine it with predictive models. So there is a combination between explanatory and predictive mm -hmm. models. Mm -hmm. And finally, they would come up with nice visualizations that would really reflect what they intend to convey. I think that's exactly what a good people analytics practice or, or best practice in people analytics would look like. But of course, as I said before, in this case, that's not cheap. So that's yeah. very expensive because you have to collect the data from different parts of the organization. You have to integrate this data, which sometimes is based on different platforms that don't communicate with one another. So they don't talk to each other and they're just totally independent. Mm -hmm. I, I had this problem once working with a hospital, for example. I was trying to, uh, to show the data, the data on, uh, on some clients, let's say clients or patients. Mm -hmm. And what the, the hospital would like to do was to connect the data from the clients with the doctor team. But the data was in different platforms. I couldn't say, for example, how much the satisfaction of the client was impacted by uh, the way that they were, they were sold by the, 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 the team. So there are two different platforms. If there are two different platforms. We have a sparse matrix. So mm -hmm. we don't have this data that don't match. If they don't match, we can simply make any inferences. Mm -hmm. And then it was quite hard, of course, if you find a way of integrating this, you can provide some insights into it, but otherwise, you, you just have data which would be used uh, on the descriptive approach rather than a predictive approach. Yeah, so, and I, I love the piece too, because um, it, data, data without insights is just numbers on a page, like you just said, right? Um, so, so I think there's, there's almost like a journey in, in people analytics strategies and getting that single source of truth first is, is one of the biggest hurdles. One of the other things that I've noticed in the people analytics space is there's, there's statisticians and there's people that are great with analytics, right? 
but they still do not know what business questions and what human questions to ask of that data, right? And that's really where the money is, right? That's where you're making the difference. Now they can run any correlation that you can dream of, but you have to think of that, what correlation would even be representative of what's actually going on or what you think. So I, I think the challenge is, is actually designing the hypothesis for a lot of organizations, right? What do you typically, when you're teaching your students, when you're teaching businesses to, to come up with a hypothesis to then test with analytics and data, how do you help them formulate that particular hypothesis from a, a psychology st standpoint or side? Yeah, it always starts with a roadmap. So we have to create a roadmap for the whole including the whole process that you want to, uh, to find. So it always starts with talking to people. So we have to talk to people in the organization to find what the problem is. So what's the issue is? Because sometimes we don't have an issue, but we want to enhance a few things. So I've seen a few people say, oh, everything starts from a problem. So sometimes we don't have a big problem, but what you want to do is to improve it, to maximize the potential of some applications of some variables. And that's exactly where it should start off. So you have to start by speaking with people, could it be an interview, could it be using a qualitative approach, could it be anything that's more informal, for example, but you need to understand exactly what the business problem is before formulating any hypothesis. Mm -hmm. Because before formulating hypothesis, you should have questions about mm -hmm. what you really want to investigate. So the first thing is, uh, trying to find what the indicators you want to focus on. So what variables are included in this problem? The second thing is also that I always talk to my students that it's all about feasibility. If you don't have time, if you don't have money, if you don't have resources, so how can you collect data? How can you analyze the data? You can't. So it's important that you always try to always to, to see the feasibility of your project, of your roadmap. So the simpler, the better. That's what I usually say. Start, start basic, start very, very simple. And then you can move on with more predictive models. And when mm -hmm. it comes to formulating hypothesis after having questions, for example, it's important that you always follow suit. I mean, it's important that the questions are simple and the hypotheses that follow are also simple. So it could be a bidirectional model, could it be just your hypothesis in the model. It's simple, yes, it's limited totally, but it's still feasible. So it's important that you try to make your problem look as simple as possible. Mm -hmm. Why? Because at the end of the day, it's very simple to create a regression model or just do some correlation, something that you that would get off you the ground. So that's exactly what you need. Mm -hmm. And what you need to do is to convince the people that you are doing something uh, scientifically grounded. That's what's important. Mm -hmm. It's not something based on gut feeling. So why reformulate this hypothesis? Because I have some questions which are based on some theories and I can follow these theories to formulate my questions and finally to formulate my hypothesis. Mm -hmm. And what about, should I include more variables? Of course you can include more variables. You can conduct a moderation mediation study, create a structural equation modeling or do anything you want. But you need also to make sure that those who buy your project, I mean, those in the organization that will try to understand your project, they really understand it because you don't want to waste your time doing so much data analysis and things which are very complex and high level. 
and people will not understand exactly what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. So that's important that you also communicate and you also convey this information in a way that's very simple, so as everyone can understand. Yeah. And, and of course, that. after yeah, and of course, after delivering this first hypothesis and trying to test this, you can escalate this and you can just try to make this more complex and add new variables. You can add variables in, for example, use a psychological network analysis, which is something very, very simple in practice to do mm -hmm. because it's also based on correlation models. So you can investigate this based on correlations. You can check other variables that could potentially influence your model, your system. After that, you can start to make predictions. But of course, mm -hmm. predictions should also be justified because predictions are made because you want to intervene in some aspect in the future. Mm -hmm. So why do you want to know that tomorrow will rain or not? So you want to do something with this. So you want to take this information and make this something which is really helpful, something that would be useful for the organization. And I think, so, I think those are the best relationships when you know how to communicate and know who you're dealing with. And that's probably why engagement rates have only hovered around 30 to 33% over the last 15 years, right? It's like the internal relationships, those intangibles are more important to the overall success of people analytics and HR, frankly. So if finance is not on board and doesn't understand, they're going to fall into exactly. the 78% yeah. yeah. of people that are using their gut instinct and intuition to drive business decisions or trust their rear view mirror looking at the profit and loss statement to, to drive business decisions. And we know that's catastrophic and, and really showing how catastrophic it is during times of turmoil and times of stress um, where we are right now. And that's really, we talk about when only 22% of businesses leverage data and science to make business decisions. Igor, that is like saying that your whole field of study is irrelevant and, and doesn't exist, right? It, it, it's pretty much what 78% of people are saying, oh, I know more than mm -hmm. an organizational psychologist about the relationships of how I'm supposed to lead and, and, and get others to follow. Um, the last question that Bobby and I typically love to ask is, in your estimation, where is the future of work headed? I think the, the future of work is headed um, towards um, something which would be a hybrid model. Uh, in terms of workplace, I think we have, we will see a grow in terms of hybrid models. Uh, I've seen some companies around the world now finally offering remote work instead of only uh, based on some specific locations. Mm -hmm. And that would play an important role in diversifying the workforce. Mm -hmm. So we have more people from different regions with different ideas, uh, making uh, companies much more diverse and, and the feeling of psychological safety, among other things, trust, other things, will also improve uh, as a result. I think that's one of the things that we'll see over the next couple of years. Uh, we'll see more collaboration between companies, even competing companies. Mm -hmm. So I think we also see more collaboration because they, we realize that by collaborating, you can also have a best techniques. You can advance your vision in a much better way than if we just work on your own. Mm -hmm. I think that's the second thing. So we have uh, a much more open source based platform now of discussions. And we've seen, we, it's not like the past that we used to have industrial secrets and things that should be kept 
under you know seven layers and things like this. Now what we have is much more. Let's try to share this information because when you share, you know exactly that others could contribute to your project, contribute ideas, and at the end of the day, you can grow much faster uh, than, for example, just uh, having or, or working independently. So I think that's one. The other thing that you also see. And the third point is actually, um, I think it's in terms of focus more on employee well-being. As I said before, I think now we have a different way of looking to the workforce. Now you have to be more attractive as a company to keep people, not only to hire, but to keep people, to make people attractive, to make people stay, want to stay in the organization. And of course, for all of these things, we need people analytics. We need to have good predictive models. We need to understand why people would like to stay, why people would like to leave. We have a generational aspect as well, of course. We know that this new generation is much more likely to leave the organizations and to work for more companies along their lives, over the lifespan. But I think that's, that's something you should also consider. Consider that they would be leaving in any case, how can we provide them with the best experience and how can we tap into their skills and use the best opportunities that they can provide us with? I think that's the things that companies now need to realize. So there is a shift in terms of understanding of the workforce that will be play an important role for the new job market. Love that. And, and, and getting by with a little help of your friends, we know even if Coca-Cola copied exactly everything that Pepsi is doing today, that still they would not have the same financials at the end of the year. So that's why it's like almost getting over those hidden uh, things that uh, they thought were proprietary before. What we're finding is that your people are more proprietary and that intellectual capital that you hold within the business is more valuable to the business at the end of the day. So thank you so much today, Igor, for this fascinating conversation, really about the human psyche and, and, and the future of people analytics. And, and I love, because I, I and Bobby talk about, well, people analytics is great. It's one thing to have the data, the metrics, but it's another to actually apply insights and actually come up and design action plans thereafter. So you can look at stare dashboards all day, but if those dashboards aren't going to tell you what you need to do. So thank you again so much for providing this, this side of the uh, equation for a well-rounded, well-versed people analytics and, and HR departments as they move forward and find and settle into their new role within these businesses as that strategic business partner um, to really help organizations kind of propel their, their business forward in the new normal. So thank you from, from myself thank you, uh, for yeah. being a part of the show, Igor. It was a blast. Yeah, thank you very much. It was great speaking with you. So uh, we, we don't usually reflect on this thing. So <laughs> over the day, so we do all the things in terms of research, but we don't usually take some time to, to think and reflect on the next step. So it was great speaking with you about what is. Beautiful. Well, thanks so much. And I can't wait to start applying some of your intellectual capital that you just gave me. So <laughs> take it easy, Igor. You have a great day. Thanks so much. Cheers. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Thank you.